God. And, and, and God is such a good God. Isn't He good? Come on, God is good. God is good. And all the time. He's good. If you're new to Lincoln City Church, again, I want to just say we're, we're so thankful that you could come. We would hope that you would come again and again and again. And I just want to tell you that God is good. And, he, and you would find at this church that we do believe in a good God. Come on, we believe in the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Not the terrible news, but the good news of Jesus Christ that he's able to save. We're going to go on. We've been doing a series um, uh, this uh, the month of September, uh, looking at the book of Esther, actually story of Esther, and the name of the title is Going Beyond. And today I'm going to end the series, oh God, with our last, with our last message here. Uh, it is really called the, the Beyond Struggle. I want to read a couple of passages I want to read a couple of passages in uh, Esther. The first one is there, Esther chapter 4. And I'm going to read a contrasting uh, passage uh, after this. Why don't we read together? When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on barlaps and ashes and went into the city crying out aloud with bitter wails. He went as far as the gate of the palace for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And the, news of, and the news of the king's decree reached all the province. There was great mourning among the Jews. Boy, I cannot read today. I cannot see. Okay. There was great mourning among the Jews. Then they fasted, wept, wailed. Many people lay in ballops and ashes. You get the picture. This was not good news. The decree was not a good decree, wasn't it? Let me read the next one here. I, um, uh, Esther chapter 8. Then Mordecai left the king's presence wearing the royal robe of blue and white and the great crown of gold and an outer cloak of fine linen, blue and white, the great crown, the great crown of gold and an outer cloak of fine linen and purple. And the people of Susa celebrated the new decree. The Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. And in every province and every city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and declared a public festival, festival and holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask the blessing of your word, that let it not return to you void, but accomplish in our lives the purpose for which you sent it. Let us never be the same after the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Quite a difference, isn't it? We're talking about Mordecai. One picture here is a picture. He gets some news from the same king who sends a decree and the response of the people, the Jewish people in all the provinces was that of mourning, crying, tribulation, sorrow, fear. I cannot exactly try to cap the emotions that are being expressed here. But the Bible gives us a very big picture that it was a hopeless situation. Four chapters later, a decree comes from the same king and is met with joy. And celebration. On one side, they were wearing sackcloth and ashes and mourning and grieving. On the other side, they are rejoicing. And Mordecai is dressed up like a king. He's, he's excited. And everybody 
that gets the news celebrate. And even people that were not biological, biologically Jews converted to the Jewish religion. Look at your neighbor and say, that's God. See, the Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It also says in Romans, but I consider the great suffering of these present times does not, is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Amen? You could be down today, but with God tomorrow, everything can change. You could have, maybe you came to the service discouraged. You came to the service in a state of hopelessness. But with God, all things are possible. He causes water to come out of a rock. He creates a way where there seems to be no way. He parts the seas. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It is when we put it in God's hands, the worst can become the best. The hopeless can become hopeful. The despair can become rejoicing. The Bible says in Psalm one twenty six that when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our soul, our hearts were filled with laughter. Our heart, our mouths were filled with laughter. Our hearts with songs of joy. Then they said, "Among the nations, the Lord has done mighty things for them." I want to encourage you this morning that we serve a God. That is able to take every situation, literally, that seems impossible in my, with man, that to turn it around for his glory. He says that there is nothing, there is nothing that happens to us as his people that is not in his plan. That even our sorrow, even our suffering, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love the Lord and those that are called according to his purposes. This time in history, um, uh, the Jewish people are fearing for their lives. It all started with one person. One enemy. His name was Haman. He was a king's prime minister. He had the king's ear. Anything he could tell the king, the king valued his advisor. And he got upset with Mordecai, who was a Jewish man, who refused to bow to Haman. And he got ticked off. He says, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you that you don't do that to Haman. I'm not going to deal with you. I'm going to eliminate all your, your people. Haman goes to the king. He tells the king, you know, the Jews are not to be trusted in your kingdom. We need to do something about them. And guess what? I'm going to organize this. In fact, I'm going to fund the process of killing them. The king decides, oh, Haman, you always are looking out for me. And I trust your judgment. And so the king goes along. A whole race, a whole people are about to be eliminated. And can you imagine if you were in that case, how would you respond? And it was so helpless. It seemed like, man, this is the end. And what I want, the essence of the message today is that we see the two contrasts. But then there is the in-between. And that is what the title of the message is today, the beyond struggle. We know what the desires are and we know that our God is able. We know that nothing is impossible with God. We believe in his word. But the struggle happens in between. What I didn't do, I didn't reach up to five. I didn't reach up to six. I did not reach up to seven. I jumped to chapter eight. But in chapter, the, chapter three, moving on to chapter four, there were some decisions that were being made. There were decisions that were made that resulted 
in the, uh, in the outcome in chapter 8. I think different decisions would have resulted in a different outcome. If Esther, Mordecai, all those involved would have responded differently, come on, maybe the story would have not ended the way it read. Okay, how many times in our lives does God bring us to a place where we have to go beyond? We know there is more beyond our circumstance. We know there is more beyond the job situation you're dealing with. There is more beyond the relationship issue you're dealing with. There is more beyond here. But when we look and rationalize what's going on, it seems utterly impossible for us to do anything. And sometimes what seems to be the easy route typically isn't the best route. And what seems to be difficult is what ends up in better results. Am I just speaking metaphorically or can we connect this to our lives? And God, that is the place where the Bible says that we need to, to walk in the realm of faith. See, I want to talk about the beyond struggle. Here's the struggle that we see. One of the things about the beyond struggle, I'm, I'm going to share just four thoughts about that. The beyond struggle is that really, it's like Esther, who comes to a place where she is the only one in a position that can do something. And Mordecai talks to Esther in chapter 4, I think verse 13. You can look it up later. Maybe not verse 13. If it's not verse 13, don't come and correct me. It's in Esther chapter 4. But Mordecai tells Esther, I know life is going well for you. But you got to do something. you got to do something. You're going to speak up. Esther was in a position where she could have shut her mouth and nothing Her life would have been fine, at least for a little bit. But the move she was about to make would have potentially costed her her life. So Mordecai is compelling Esther to go and confront the king, to go and talk to the king and plead with the king to, to reverse his decision. And Esther says, Mordecai, you know, I might not make it. I might not come back. But nonetheless, and that's the point of of the beyond struggle, is that what she was dealing with from within, and she found it within her heart to determine that, you know what? I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to go in faith. Even though I may die, she says, well, then I'm going to die trying. And some of you are in situations right now in your life that are very difficult. And you're confronted with a decision that seems very hard to do. But I want to encourage you. You need to know the word of the Lord. You need to know, is God saying that I should do this? What would God want me to do in this situation? Don't just make a quick decision that seems like it will get you out of the trouble. Consider what God is wanting to teach you, or what God is wanting to do through the process. It might be painful for the moment. But I have something to tell you. When you trust in the Lord, you never fail, you never lose, even though it seems difficult in your life. God says this of us, that I know the plans that I have concerning you. They are plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Can we trust God? I know that He is good, that He is always watching out for us. Nothing, no one ever said it's going to be easy. 
But we are always going to be victorious in Christ. If we choose God's way, we always win at the end. The man and the woman that goes by faith, they always win at the end. There was a little boy that came to Jesus. When Jesus had preached to a multitude, you know the story from Sunday school, if you ever went to one. You know, Jesus talks and talks and talks. He preaches and preaches. You think I preach long? (laughs) Jesus just kept going at it. And he got to a point, the disciples, I don't think the disciples were concerned about the people eating. This is the case. Jesus, you've been going a, a little too long. And so they thought it was a cop. I said, hey, listen, these guys are hungry. They have been it all day. And there are no restaurants near here. We need to send them home so they can go eat. And Jesus says, okay, hold on a second. I got two more points. And he just goes at it. And then Jesus says, you go, you go feed them. You go give them something to eat. I said, Jesus, really? You know, we left with nothing. Really? We... And the boy comes and says, hey, I got something. It's very little. Two fish is fishes, fish, fish. That's the Kenyan in me. And five loaves of bread. And this little boy willingly gives it to Jesus. It was his own lunch, but he gives it to Jesus. And Jesus blesses it. And Jesus blesses it. He talks to the Lord. And guess what? Everybody left satisfied that day. Everybody had left full. In fact, they had more leftovers than they could ever, they knew what to do with it. What am I trying to say is that whatever it is that we have in our lives, no matter how small, It may seem in our eyes when we give it to Jesus, when we commit it to the Lord, a lot can happen. A lot can happen. When we move beyond, even in the realm of giving, we talked about that when we're giving our offering. I want to say, you know, the Lord is able. He knows your bank account number. He knows where you work. He knows all your needs. He knows your address. He knows the bills that are sitting on your countertop that you are afraid to even look them up but he says that everyone who is worried he says let let not your heart be troubled let not your heart be troubled believe in god believe also in me jesus wants us to have peace of mind peace of heart i'm not saying that we are not concerned about life but he says don't be worried about anything he says instead you should pray about everything don't worry about anything he says you should pray about everything God knows our needs. He knows our wants. He knows our desires. You know, sometimes people say, oh, God only gives us what we need. No, I don't think that's theologically correct. He gives us what we need. He says, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. But God also knows the desires of our hearts. It says that delight yourself in him. Delight yourself in me and I will give you the desires of our hearts. Do you know God formed your heart? He puts the desires in. Okay. I don't need to say no more on there. He cares not only for your needs. He also cares for your desires. Because he's going to even use your desires to be a blessing to others. Here's the problem with the beyond struggle. Here's the struggle that we have. Is that there is safety 
Number one, there is safety in staying where we are. I guess a form of safety. There is no risk. There is no charge. There is no, there is predictability. There's no change. There's predictability in staying where we are. And Esther was confronted with a situation. She was a queen living in the palace, had everything she did. Uh, she, she had everything she needed as an individual. And she could have stayed safe. She could have played it safe. She could have not taken the step, but she didn't. We all, like Esther, are confronted with the same things all, all the time. We want the safety zone. Uh, we, were, we were doing a marriage uh, a seminar training here a couple of weeks ago, and someone, uh, the presenter was showing four roads, different roads. Uh, that, and and he, asked, he asked, uh, which road would you pick? One had trees, one had cars, one was a straight road, one had uh, portals, if you would. And I looked at it, I'm thinking, I want the straight road because I want to know where I'm going. In my mind, you know, we want, we want to have assurance. But you know, the walk of faith is a, is a mysterious walk. Come on now. The walk of faith is a mysterious walk. But what, why we stand, we stand in knowing and having been persuaded fully of the goodness of the Lord. Like Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, that I am persuaded of this fact. Not nothing can separate me from the love of God with His Jesus in Christ Jesus. Not death, nor trials, nor tribulation, nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate us from the love of God. So I know when I face every, when I face my life, when I have different situations to deal with, when I have difficulties in my life, what I stand on is not finding an answer and a solution to everything. I have peace in knowing that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And so I can take one step at a time, knowing that my God loves me, that not even death, not even hell, not demonic power, no authority, no naysayer can separate me from the love of God. And that's what I walk with. And so when we have that steadfast assurance like Paul would, then we can, we can take the step of faith. We can push and go beyond. And it's a struggle. It's real. And don't you feel guilty when you struggle? Well, don't you go, don't feel guilty even when you doubt? It's okay. God is not surprised a bit that you doubted or feared. But He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to, to put your trust in him you direct your concerns to him when i find when i've seen even in my life when i've seen the power of god move greatly or the hand of god move in greater times is when i come to a place when i realize that i cannot do this on my own then i cannot get credit for the success when all the glory will be God and God alone. When I can stand and say, this was not my doing. I couldn't, I couldn't have done this if it was just me. That's when God is glorified the most. So take heart. It's not, it's not bad that you doubt. It's not bad that you fear. But that's the place where you have to transfer that care, that concern, that thing that weighs you down. You have to transfer it and put it into the hearts of Jesus. The Bible says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who labor and, and carry heavy lightens, and I will give you rest. Why? My burden, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So we need to learn how to take transfer our burden to the Lord who died on the tree, who so willingly wants to carry the Lord for us. 
Growing up in Africa, I remember going to rural places and all that. Yeah, you see, you, you will see people, especially in the rural, rural areas, women that go for, they go long places to either fetch water, go to the market, and they do a lot of heavy, heavy carrying. Yeah, carry stuff. And so I remember hearing a story of this lady that had her bag and she's just a, a heavy load on her and she's waiting. And a guy that was driving a truck saw the lady and called the lady up. As I decided to give the lady a ride. Where are you going? The lady came into the car and, uh, and uh, she kept her luggage on. She was just used to carrying it. She didn't need to carry it anymore. She was in the car, but it was in her mind. She still had it. And the guy's like, why are you still carrying the bag? You can relax now. You can put the bag down. You know, the master is driving. That is very, that is very, the very thing that happens to us, I thought, with Jesus. We come to him and he wants to carry the Lord for us. He says, take my burden, take my yoke. It is easy for you. My burden is light for you. You don't have to carry, you transfer it to the Lord because he cares for us. Amen. The second thought is that to do nothing is wrong. To do nothing is wrong. To be silent is wrong. Esther was told, if you keep quiet, Mordecai is telling Esther, chapter 4, you'll read it for yourself. If you keep quiet at a time like this, God will cause there to come a deliverer from another source. But nonetheless, you and your family will perish. I don't think that necessarily speaks of her perishing physically. Maybe it was. But I think there is something in the spiritual realm, something greater than the physical death that Mordecai was speaking to. We as believers, we realize this and we should always know this, that our life on earth is just but a journey. We should live life knowing that there is more beyond here. There is more beyond the life that we see. There is more beyond the time that we live in. That there is more to it. It says that we should live with our eyes up. Amen? Because we are just a journey makers. I don't know how much time we have. I don't know if we're going to see you tomorrow. That is not up to us. But we need to know that and live in such a way that we realize there is greater. The Bible says, what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world, but yet forfeit his own soul. In other words, there is something greater than just living here. And as believers, we need to be more concerned about that. I think we get so concerned about the things of the world, worrying about how am I going to pay the bills? How no, 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 no. How no? We worry so much about the things of the earth. And the Lord says, you look greater. He says, if you seek me first, if you seek my kingdom, all these things that the Gentiles long for will be added to you. He says, that's the priority. He wants, he wants us to shift the way we think. You know, that verse came when Jesus was responding to the same thing, worry. And he he says, why do you all worry about ordinary life things? He says, why do you worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear? He says, the Gentiles have their, their, the Gentiles, they think about these things all the time. They're obsessed with these things. But you, oh child of God, he says, do not worry about these things. Have you ever considered the lilies of the valley? How they come back and they're dressed up so well? Have you ever considered the birds in there? Who feeds them? Who takes care of them? God does. Aren't you of more value to the Lord than they? 
And that's when he says, but you need to focus on the things of the Lord. He says, do not worry about anything. He says, you concentrate on the kingdom of God. He says, put ye the kingdom of God first. And all these things will be added to you. God already knows what you need. And God will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is well able to provide for you. Even take you places that you've never dreamed of. If we prioritize and change the way we think. And put his kingdom first. And he will always take care of us. He will always protect us. He will always watch over us. He will always be there for us. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the praises of my enemies. Amen? He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. To do nothing is wrong. I have been so burdened personally about the decline of Christianity in America. And it's happening right in front of our eyes. And if you look at the studies of how many people are associating with Christianity, and I'm talking just even an identity of religious Christianity. And I understood different things. Just to identify as a Christian, I belong to this church. To actually being a born-again Christian who follows the Lord, who gives their lives. And and I'm not even going to differentiate that. They're saying all across the board, from mainland, Protestant, Catholics, Evangelicals, there is a decline of how many people are identifying as Christians in America. That is not good. Not good at all. Because this nation was built on Christian principles. It's never been a perfect nation. Never. There's never been a perfect nation. Even the Israelites had never been perfect. But the Christian principles are those that, that, that is why we have the results that we have today. That's why we have the freedom that we have today. That's why we can worship God without fear. That's why people can even rebuke, mock God and still be all right. That does not happen in Islamic nation. I'll tell you the truth. You don't have those freedoms. You have to submit and subject or hide for, your dear, for the dear life. And if we lose that systematically, slowly, eventually, eventually, guess what? Islam will fill the void. It won't be secular. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not going to be secular humanism that's going to fill the void of religion. Islam will gladly take the void. Oh, don't get me started on this. Because this is something that's... And and, and I believe... Because you look at the book of Revelation. Jesus talks about the seven churches. Revelation chapter 2, 3, and uh, maybe trickles down into 4 a little bit. And all the different churches that I identify, those were some of the first areas that Christianity began. When we read a lot of the stories in the Bible, there was a great movement of God in that region. In modern day, the, all, the entire geographic area that is stated in Revelation chapter 3 is Islamic. Europe is a good case study because it's happening right in front of our eyes. Immigration and children. The biological code that God put into human beings. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
They don't preach the gospel of love. They don't preach the gospel of grace. They don't preach that. But guess what? They are outnumbering us in the size of their family. And it's only a matter of time. No conquest, no war, no arguments, and they're taking over Europe. And when you see the tide going back, I pray for America. I didn't grow up here. Many of you can already tell the moment I opened my my mouth. Which is funny, you know, I get that all the time. And I like to joke around with it sometimes. Hey, where do you think I'm from? You try and guess, Jamaica, whatever. They just guess whatever they think. And I always have a good time with it. And sometimes I tell people, you know, you know where Lion King was filmed? It's like, oh yeah, that's where I was born. It's like, yeah, it's a cartoon. But really. But, but my country was not founded on Christian principle. But it is turning Christian. It's only about 150 years old Christianity in Kenya. But many people are turning Christianity. But you can see within the fabric of the culture, those voids. Now, I'm not preaching a message of fear. I do think that the Lord is raising this to our awareness, to the people of God that we can start to pray. I think like in Esther chapter 4 and Esther chapter 8, there's a mighty contrast. Because God's people rose to a new level. There was a sense of urgency when they began to pray. Esther says, I'm going to go to the king, but I'm going to start fasting. I'm going to start praying. And you guys, you got you to gotta do the same thing. You pray, you fast for us. You begin to call on the name of the Lord. And you begin to do that. And they did. And they called on the name of the Lord. In Jeremiah, the Bible says, call on me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things, even the things that you do not know. The Bible also says that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. The Bible says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive them their sins. I will heal their land. And we can have the same result that we see in Esther. It's not a done deal. We need to stand up. We need to stand up and begin to call on the name of the Lord. We need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to ministering. We need to have a sense of urgency in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God that brings salvation. And God will change one person at a time. It doesn't have to be mercies. Just you talking to one person, praying for one person, believing for one family. And the whole world could change because the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful. You cannot limit it. You cannot legislate it. You cannot put it out of anything. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God that transforms lives from the inside out. Some of the places that the Christianity is so thriving, is so powerful, where we see miracles, are countries that are oppressive towards Christianity. How is so? Because the gospel cannot be limited. It cannot be hindered from without. Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we know that no power, no authority, no legislation can actually destroy Christianity. It can only slow down if we, who are part of the body of Christ, become too comfortable and become complacent. Because things are fine. Just like Esther was being told with Mordecai, hey, I know things are cool for you and things will be okay. Don't you be too comfortable. You begin to rise. You could do something. You could go beyond. 
That's the struggle that we have. But God has empowered each one of us. He has put the Spirit of God in us. He says the very Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in the, on the inside of us. It says it's not by might, it is not by power, it is by your spirit. Oftentimes we disqualify ourselves, we think, oh boy, not me, I am not that good, I can't do that. It is never, it was never about you. It's about the God, Christ in you. He is the hope of glory. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and a pastor during the times of the Nazis. I love one of these quotes that he says. He says that, and he was killed by the Nazis for not keeping quiet. He was a young man. When, I th- when you think about it, he, had, he was well accomplished. By the age of 24, he had done so much in the theological realm that some of us think you can, we can never do in our lifetime. But yet there was a, there was a heart in him. He came to the States to study more. And, uh, and he went to New York and he, and he, to, to do some more study. And his comment, in fact, he was not impressed by the theology in America. He says, there's no theology here. But God changed his heart when he was here. And he got connected with another student that was an African-American pastor who was living through a very oppressive time. And he got to live in a spirit-filled, and he, was, he got to, to live in a spirit-filled environment. And, and having compassion for people that are, are broken. And he would go back at transform man with his theology and the grace and comfort. And he said this, when, when, when the Nazis came to office one, he opposed Hitler within two days of him being in office. He could see it. He could see where Germany was going. He was in a broadcast in the radio and he condemned it. He says, guys, you're getting lost. This is going to be crazy. And, uh, and they shut him off while the broadcast was going on. He was not afraid. And they ended up taking authority over the church. And he felt like the church was compromised. And Hitler was able to do all he did because he was able to compromise the Christian church. And elected people in the church that would support him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Silence in the face of evil in, its, in itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. People are dying without Jesus. They might be driving nice cars. They might be living in good houses. They might have no problem. They might not have any desperation, so to speak, when it comes to the things of this world. But there, is more, there are more important things. If they are going to go and die in hell, And yes, the Bible says there is a hell. Not everybody is going to heaven. It says nobody. It says the books will be open and the books will be read. If anyone will find that their names are not written in the books of life, they will be sent to the lake of fire. Jesus will reward his church and he's using his church. He's using his people. He has no plan B. He has no other options. He says, I am building my church and that's the instrument that he uses. That's you and I. God wants to put within our hearts. We need to accept a sense of urgency. And I tell you, just have a sense of urgency. Have God's heart. Have compassion for people. No matter how good they may look on the outside. If they don't have Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It is going to be bad. And people might be living. Some people might be living in terrible lives. But if they have Jesus Christ, that's what matters. 
That's what matters and we need to have that. We need to speak. We need to talk. We need to be desperate in sharing the gospel. Lincoln, Nebraska is a religious city. But there are many, many people who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And I think we can speak. I think we can take the heart of God. I think we can begin to pray like Esther prayed. We can begin to fast and call on the name of the Lord in the city. And I think the result will not be one of death, but it will be one of life. It will not be one of desperation. It will be one of blessing. It will not be one of fear. It will be one of rejoicing in Jesus' name. Third thing is others are afflicted when we do not go beyond. I said earlier, it's not about us. We, we, we qualify this. It's like, my pastor, so I, I, I'm not very talkative. I can't do that. There are ways that God can use you. God created you. He knows you. He knows exactly who you are. He genetically put <laughs> your personality in you. You didn't choose you. God made you. You don't have to become somebody else to witness. Not at all. Just be you. Find how God will use you. Maybe you're not the guy that's going to stand on the street corner. Hey, I'm charging. <laughs> if that's not you, that's cool. God's cool with that. Maybe you're the person that needs to just show kindness and generosity to your neighbors. Maybe you're the person that just invites people to church. Maybe you're the person that invites people to a small group. They won't all come, but at least you did it. They didn't all respond to Jesus. So if you think they will all respond to you, man, you're thinking very highly of yourself. And that's maybe good. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't respond to Jesus always. So sometimes we, we try and then he fails and we think, oh, Jesus, I, 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 I can't do that again. Moving beyond requires some discomfort. We need to move out of the realm of our comfort. And, and the motivation factor should be that others will stay in bondage and not be free if we do nothing. Others will be kept from the experience of victory. The victory that we have in knowing Jesus Christ. I love the verse that we read at the offering. That whoever comes to Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Martin Luther King says the purpose of this life is not to be happy, nor achieve pleasure, nor avoid pain. But it is to do the will of God come what may. Our concern should be to do His will. When we do His will, He is a good God. He knows how to take care of us. He knows how to take care of our families. He knows how to take care of our finances. We don't need to worry about this. We need to pursue doing God's will. My last point. There is a cost to go beyond. It's not free. There is a cost. But nonetheless, the kingdom of God advances when we move forward. Uh, Four weeks ago, I mentioned Sarah and I were in Kenya. And after we were done with our conference, I went to visit my sister in this little town. And I, I saw this guy. Uh, there's a picture next slide. Uh, the, the guy, what he's pulling that card is called Mkokoteni. Try that. Great. Try it again. Now, from now on, you will not laugh at me when I pronounce things funny. Because I'm going to put a few Swahili words there and I'm thinking, okay, you're not as good in Swahili as I am in English. But I am walking with my niece and in this little town, and I see this guy pulling a cart. And they're all over, in, especially in trading areas, in busy streets. And man, that load looked heavy. And it was like, it had to be 85 degrees and hot, and the guy was sweating. And you know, for a moment there, I just was moved with compassion. 
And there was a guy chasing him around. I didn't know if the guy was the boss or he was a client. You know, could not add. But nonetheless, the guy pushing that thing was really doing the work. And what the sad thing is uh, in developing countries, you find the people that work the hardest. I know it happens here too. Let me, in all countries. People that had the hardest, they seem to be the ones that get paid the least. And, and I, just, I was just overwhelmed with compassion for the guy. And I'm thinking, probably nobody. And I asked the Lord, what can I do? What can I do for this guy? And, and then he passed me up. So I went to the store and, and said, Lord, just show me something. I could, how I can show your love some way. And I got some good, I got some cold cokes. God put that in my hand. I was like, just like, some coke. It was cold. And I thought, man, if I could get that guy out there, I'm going to just give him a, a coke and tell him, you know, God loves you. Jesus loves you, you know, and just leave. I'm not going to preach at him. I just want him to know that God loves him. When I walk out, the guy was not there. And so I'm walking, thinking, God, you know, if, this, if you put this in my head, you've got to find another guy in Amkokoteni here. And I just started praying, and I started praying. And sure enough, there was a guy coming, running so fast. I said, hey, what? He stopped. I think, who is this guy? I think I was dressed nicely, you could tell. And uh, why are you stopping me? I said, you know, I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And he just paused for a moment and thought, who was that? And he was like, wow, thank you. This smile in his face. He was just cold and he was hot. And then he ran, and, and I didn't preach or anything. I just thought, you know what? I plant the seed. And all day maybe he'll think, you know, maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus does love me. The Bible says this, that one plants, another waters, but it is God who brings the increase. In our world, in our time of instant, we get so many things done instantly. Sometimes we can be frustrated when we don't see instant results. I mean, we could be doing something, it's instantly on Facebook, on Instagram. Even the name tells it. Everything we want is quick and readily available. We could shoot at McDonald's real quick and get a, an instant lunch. And I think sometimes those quirks in our culture affect the way we witness. And when we don't see instant results, we give up, we get slow, we think it's not going to work. The responsibility of changing lives is not ours. The responsibility is God's. When we pray for people that are sick, it is not our responsibility to see that they get healed. The Bible says you pray for the sick. And the, the Lord is the one who heals. The Lord is the one who saves. The Lord is the one who delivers. We just be faithful in doing the things that God is calling us to do. And God, God will bring a harvest in due season. Amen? We need to go beyond. We need to fight beyond the struggle. And know that God is on our side. Every blessing that was ever said, uh, every time we go, every time we push beyond, there's a blessing. And people are blessed. People get to know God. People get to experience the kindness and the generosity of God through God's people. Don't be discouraged if you don't see results. God knows and he keeps good books. And God is able to do more exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, and even imagine. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up together. Amen.